Hi, it's Joe. Hi, friends. Aislinn here. And we want to welcome you to the second half of season three of Dinner Table Talks. We are so glad that you are here at our table with us, and we are looking forward to all of the great talks that we're going to have. If you enjoy what you hear, tell a friend. Grab a drink and get your most comfortable chair. Pull it up to the table because we're about to get into it. It must be summer because I am going through the pickle pops in the freezer very fast. I'm going to need you to get me some more. Okay. You liked the pickle pops? Um, yes. I don't know if they're any good for me at all, but I do like them a lot. There's a place in town that's called The Barn. You can drive through and pick up this huge, massive michelada. Right. And you're not drinking beer anymore. Exactly. But that particular drink came with a pickle pop. And like the only reason I go to that place would be really to get the pickle pop in the michelada. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to put pickle pops on my list. Mm -hmm. Google Keep. Grocery. (laughs) Pinned. Summertime. (laughs) Then the next time I go to the grocery store, I get the pickle pops. Yeah. But it began with the similar conversation. I'm going to the grocery store. Do you need me to get anything? Mm -hmm. This is your answer 100% of the time that I asked that question. I don't know. (laughs) Because I don't. But that day, you said, I need salty dip. And I said, what is salty dip? And you said, I don't know, but you'll know it when you find it. And I think I walked every aisle. You look for salty snacks. Looking for salty <laughs> snacks that were going to be you know, gluten-free, and not too like, heavily processed. Yeah, and I already like popsicles. So I always eat those good pops, real juice popsicles. I eat those a lot. Well, in the popsicle aisle, unfrozen was pickle pops. When you said pickle pops, I was like, yes. And, and, and you go, it's got ingredients I think you can handle. Pickle juice frozen. It says filtered water, vinegar, salt, natural flavoring. This is where it gets complicated. Polysorbate, which mm-hmm. is an emulsifier. so that it, That's to know, make a popsicle out of exactly. stuff that wouldn't freeze like that. Dyes, lots of good dyes. Good. Sodium, benzate, potassium, sorbate. I don't even know what any of this stuff is, honestly. It's good for you, I'm sure. Good yes, names. I'll buy you some more pickle pops, but we'll determine next week if <laughs> you even want to eat them or not. Right. That's... Is this where like ignorance could be bliss? Welcome to my life. Literally, welcome to my life. That's why there's so many questions on this show. <laughs> the thing about it is, is that they put that yellow dye in there. Mm-hmm. To keep it green. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you right now, a pickle popsicle wouldn't be bright green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't alone, need to be bright green. Yeah, but it is because that's what we like to buy and they're feeding it to kids and they want to make it fun. And, you know, it's a sport pop. <laughs> I crave them in the summer. It's got to be something I need. Dun, 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 dun. We've named a chicken. Yeah, I was like, finally, I was like, hey, are we going to ever name that chicken? Because for weeks, I'm walking around going, that chicken we haven't named yet. I that want chicken to we give haven't named everybody yet. a chance and everybody weighed <laughs> in and there is a clear winner. We had asked on our Facebook page, tell us names that we should name this chicken. Beautiful mm-hmm. picture of. Mm-hmm. Our friends came up with these top five. Pepper. Uh-huh. That was my pick going in. That was mine too. Audrey Henburn. Mm-hmm. Houdini. That makes sense because she flies she, out. Yep. Yeah. Millie. Yeah, yeah. Dirty Martini, because it's an olive egger. Dirty I, Martini was a good I one. I loved that name. And there's no reason why we can't. and, yeah. Yeah, we could name dirt, someone else Dirty Martini, right? Did yes. We, okay. That's, that's what's happening. But Pepper, my favorite, did not win. Houdini. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Dirty Martini, no. Uh, Audrey Hinburn. Audrey Hinburn. Well, she is beautiful like an Audrey Hinburn, so that makes sense to me. So she's Audrey Hinburn. And then we actually do have another olive egger, if we want to name her Dirty, Dirty Martini. Martini. Then she's got a name. Let's, let's say that she's one. named too then. Okay. So then there was another one that 
I need to figure it out. So we'll get a picture. We'll do another neighbor. Y'all are having fun with this, right? <laughs> right? You like this, right? We need your help naming chickens. Every once in a while, we're going to have an episode just like this. All of this stuff collides. All the unanswered yeah. questions, wrapping up our Blue Zone conversation. Mm-hmm. It's perfect alignment. Unanswered questions. I think this is our first experiment on the show. Oh, yeah? What's that? I don't even think I explained it really well last week. At our first salon, we served deviled eggs. You boil an egg and you cut it in half. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I go to a restaurant or something, I see deviled eggs and there's a nice white thick edge around it. So there's no problem filling in your hole Mm -hmm. with your filling that you make. Right. And I hadn't noticed that I guess I don't make deviled eggs very often. Mm -hmm. Thin ass, like bottom. Yes. When I say the bottom, I mean if you take an egg out of an egg carton, the part that's pointing down at the floor is the bigger half, the bottom. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a pinchy little white egg there. <laughs> Super thin. Super thin. Yeah. Well, then we found last week that a potential solution, could it be so easy, is to store eggs you intend on boiling point side down. Right. Now, this is the worst scientific experiment ever <laughs> as far as like... But you did it. Data. <laughs> yeah. Collection. All retention. Types of eggs. Yes. Yeah. I used two brown eggs, just so that I could remember which ones they were, uh-huh. point down. Uh-huh. And then I had two white eggs okay. point up. Okay. I'm going to go get them out of the kitchen. Okay. Okay, you have the white ones. Which one? And which direction? Were Point these? side up, the way that I did them last the time. normal You ones. should have a thinner bottom. Right, okay. I have the point down brown ones. So we're shelling eggs live. Yeah, we do this at the dinner table, I think. I suppose so. Actually, it's not that hard, but you do some tricks and things. Tell us how yeah, you boil eggs. Yeah, mine's undone already. Yeah, it's super easy. I'm so glad you asked this. I just want to eat this right now. Like I'll, You can eat it as I soon as we slice it in half. Pulp. Boiling eggs could not be easier. The only thing I haven't done is try the Instant Pot method, which I should try. But this is getting your water to boil, sprinkling in a dash, I don't know how much to tell you, a pinch of baking soda, getting a slotted spoon and slowly dropping your eggs in one or two at a time, setting your timer for 15 minutes, pulling them out, putting them in an ice bath. The shells come off so easy. I've never had a problem. Yeah. It's a big deal. Okay. How is yours? Really good. All the way around? Yes. See, that's... Okay, we got to do the second one then. Uh, th- look at mine. This is the point down one that's supposed to be better, and I and got exactly the opposite, the opposite got of what the I want. You got this act. is not... Okay, I'll, hold on. Do the other one now. <laughs> this is a very scientific experiment. Did any of y'all do it? Because I did ask if anybody else no, wanted it. No, no. No. The point down eggs are uh-huh. the worst eggs. Look at that. There is no bottom on that one. And there is no bottom on this one. And yours look almost perfect for a deviled egg. Well, look, this one's got that whole air hole thing. That's no good. This is a bust. I'm just going to eat these eggs. I love boiled eggs, you guys. Last week, we had a conversation about a talk we had with a medical chef. And of course, it always leads us into some interesting conversations, especially if you're talking about food and medicine. From the National Library of Medicine, I found a paper. What is culinary medicine and what does it do? Mm, Okay. Culinary medicine is a new evidence-based field in medicine that blends the art of food and cooking with the science of medicine. Mm -hmm. Culinary medicine is aimed at helping people reach good personal medical decisions about accessing and eating high-quality meals that help prevent and treat disease and restore well-being. Food is medicine. And I got really excited when I was reading through this because my parents, who had and have a lot of medical conditions are told to change their diet. Mm -hmm. My dad had diabetes, type Mm 2. 
and he gets a Xerox sheet of paper that explains the way he's supposed to eat for the rest of his life. And he's not trained to do any of it, right? Mm -hmm. A practical discipline, culinary medicine is unconcerned with the hypothetical case and instead concerned with the patient and immediate need who asks, what do I eat for my condition? Because it is difficult to learn this after 50, 60, 70 years of not having learned any of it at all. Yeah. Somebody asked the question yesterday, hey, I've gotten you know diagnosed with celiacs and I have to stop eating gluten. Tell me where to start. Of course, there's lots of lots well, of answers. Well, you go to the grocery store and it feels like a death sentence. Well, that's, that was my first response was, welcome to the club. It's not as bad as it first seems. It's really not because mm-hmm. there's, there are lots of options out there, but you have to seek out the options and you have to have access to the options. And in some spaces you have to build the options yourself to have access to them. That, yeah. But that's the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that conversation with the chef last week where she said, I'm a medical chef is good. Cause if you let people know that, you know, more about the connection between food and diet and yeah. health and wellness, you know, then you can help guide people when they have dietary restrictions, things that don't make their body feel good. Yeah. I am in a situation where for whatever reason, my mom's not going to cook. She says the food downstairs is gross and I've tasted it. It's not great. And she's kind of at that age that's refusing to learn how to use like say DoorDash or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the thing I'm looking for right now is specific dietary food for a specific set of medical conditions to be delivered. And I think a medical chef, that's where they fill the bill. Yeah, absolutely. Or in the situation we were in last week where it's like, hey, you're not eating. Well, I'm gluten-free. I didn't want to. You were busy. Right. I'm a medical chef. I'll be right back. Boom. You know? Right. Well, and what I'm finding interesting about the Blue Zone conversation Mm -hmm. and this particular conversation is it's getting a lot of traction in that... People are clearly interested and want to talk about this. The Blue Zone conversation mm-hmm. that we just stumble-bumbled mm-hmm. into, mm-hmm. people have said, so many people, thank you for A, introducing me to the concept, or B, yeah. reminding me I need to go back and look at that again. Yep, exactly. I thought this was a really interesting part of the paper, and we'll go until we get bored. Five reasons for the rise in interest in culinary medicine are... Okay. Flourishing interest in eating out away from home and in food and cooking in popular entertainment media as well as oft-conflicting popular dietary advice, especially about weight management and chronic illness. Yeah, people don't know what to do. The doctor tells them they've got something. Conflicting advice sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I are, I mean, we talk about it on the show every week. We go out for food entertainment. Yes, we enjoy lots of good food. We just like to make good choices when we do it. All right, number two. Widespread dissatisfaction with conventional medical approaches to chronic illness together with popular excitement about integrative medicine. Yeah, I think that there's like this idea, A, we're going to diagnose everything and we're going to give you a prescription. So we're going to give you a pill, but we're also going to give you some suggestions. We're going to hand you a piece of paper or whatever. But we know that the likelihood, you're probably not going to do the things. Some of you are, you're prob- but probably you're not going to do the other things, the dietary things. Then when it comes to the medicine, they're not saying, oh, here, take the medicine. It replaces this other thing I'm telling you. I they're think saying, that they're, do the, both of these things. But they're yeah. covertly saying that, though. Well, of course. Because you don't have the support. You have the support system for the drugs all you want. There's no support system that the, I saw for you need to change the way you eat for the rest of your life. Right. <laughs> There's no. Well, I mean, the thing about it is it depends on what kind of support system you're talking about. 
they're not giving any more education about the pills they're giving than they are the um, bad no, dietary right. and supported dietary advice that they're giving. Right. But the thing is, is that what, what you're saying ultimately is, and this is a conversation that I've been having a lot lately with a lot of people, and that is people are ready to take ownership more of their own health care, but they don't really know how, and they don't know who to ask the questions of, and they don't know who to trust, and they don't know what's an opinion and what's science and what's, you know, worth yeah. And so people are looking for support. So this chef is that kind of movement towards that kind of support. It's someone that knows more about what kind of food they're feeding people when people have special diets. Four is the right, you were mentioning, the rising cost of healthcare with the growing, I mean, this is real, nationwide economic burden of diet-related non-communicable disease. Yeah, I think the best thing that we can do about all of that is the plant seeds for the better option. And the better option is go to great restaurants with chefs that have done a little bit more education yeah. and care about your health as well as the foods that you eat. But also consider going to healthcare professionals that are willing to have like real conversations with you. Let's focus on the good food of it. Let's not focus on the part that the doctors and everybody's not sure. doing right. Let's focus on the good food of it. Right. Let's just get back to good food and good chefs and people that care about right. these types of and, things. And the paper earlier said that culinary chefs don't editorialize about pharmaceuticals. Right. I, I think the you. pathway forward is not caring what those other guys over there in that other world of like medicine are doing. You have We have to make some responsible choices looking at the food that we eat and we're finding people that have a little bit more experience or wisdom or education or whatever about things that might help us. And we're making a network, creating access to different types of food and healthcare professionals with different kinds of education and chefs with different kinds of wellness skills. But everything you're saying is about the fifth reason for the rise in interest in culinary medicine, a revived enthusiasm for additive free organic food, home gardening, local agriculture, and farmer's markets. Yeah. I think it's time for us to begin letting go of the system that's not working and creating the system we want. Yeah. This should be an unanswered question. No matter where I live, what is the first step I do? to create the network you're talking about. So other things that begin to happen that are cues to the summertime in South Texas, aside from Aislinn and salt licking, <laughs> is watermelon, fried fish, and black-eyed peas. And my mom made that up for us the other day, and we ate it outside in the pavilion. It was an excellent treat. First of all, you left out the fried okra. Oh, f yeah, you're right. That's the best part. <laughs> Secondly, it was one of those things that your mom just texts us at 3 p.m. Hey, yeah. we'll do dinner if y'all like, want to come yes. over. We'll be fried there. Fried fish and fried okra. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they do that out in the pavilion because of the hot grease and the you know, odor. Yeah. And it's such a great place out there. Yep. Cassie and I got the chance to do a class today. Farm and Forage. So we, I have talked about that one already a few episodes ago. It's May and it was morning and it was pleasant. And we had the screen up there where she could show her videos and everything. And it's leading us into doing a maker's class. Do you know what a maker's class is? Yeah, it's that notion of meet the maker and you become the maker. Yeah, something like that. You've got people, like I'm a grower and people that make things, people that make breads mm -hmm. and goat cheese and you know, jams and stuff like that, salts and, you know, whatever. They're makers. You and my mom are more makers than I am. I'm a grower. In June, we're going to do a class, tinctures, tonics, and salves. 
for the homestead. I every time you say pavilion. salves, salves. I grew up saying salves. Salves. I, I think it's the same. I wonder which is right. I don't know. We can look it up. But tell me, after this class, you'll be making tinctures, tonics, and salves? Well, I don't know whether I will be making any solves. <laughs> but <laughs> most importantly, we are teaching interesting classes. It's fun to collaborate with people. So if anybody else wants, we've got this great pavilion where we can do these great things. So reach out to me. We've never done this before. Because this is the section of the show where we talk about the big dish that we made. Mm-hmm. I've got a handful of my recipes mm-hmm. for the week. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is I print out the recipe on a piece of paper. I take it to the kitchen. I make the thing. And then I make a pile of the recipes. Mm-hmm. And I'll usually, the one on top is the one I'll talk about for the show. Right. But I don't have that this week. You literally but don't But I made a, a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I thought we could just tell stories. Okay. The day you asked me to make that French onion dip, uh-huh. I also made pimento cheese. One of my favorites. It's that kind of, it's summer, that time of summer, year. Summertime. This is when I do the thing where I need to know how to talk about the episode. <laughs> okay, sure. We'll just try a simple little ding this week. Episode 2.47 is when we discuss pimento cheese. We made it for a camping trip and that episode is hilarious. Go listen to episode 2.47 to learn how we make pimento cheese. So I'm the grocery shopper for my mom. And on her list all the time, a mm-hmm. tub of pimento cheese. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That she, stuff is terrible, spe- by the way. I, it really is. I know. <laughs> Not even... I don't even mean like terrible for you because it's also that because... But Oh, that's what I thought you meant. No, it's terrible. It does not taste good. Well, she asks for a specific brand. No, there's none that's good. Oh. I've eaten... I've eaten... I've never, ever, ever, ever eaten... Had a packaged pimento cheese that you liked. No. Unless it was seven day. Yeah. Yeah, Artisan. Exactly. I did oven baked ribs. I love ribs. I think I ate all of those ribs. Did you eat any of those ribs? I ate them that night, a couple of them, but I think you got the lion's share. Holy moly. I ate them for like three days straight. And I eat meat cold. I I just grab it out of like a cave woman. Oh, there's the ding again. You get the idea now. Embrace your inner cave woman or caveman by making slow-cooked oven-baked ribs like we did in episode 3.07. Then I had this loose chicken leg quarter mm-hmm. cooked in the refrigerator. And I said, I need to do something with that. So let's make our famous macaroni and cheese. Now, our famous macaroni and cheese, I don't need to talk about that because we talked about that already. Many times, many times. It's like a parade of our greatest hits this week. Episode 2.38 is when we go into detail about the dish that is the most popular in our home, homemade macaroni and cheese, with usually broccoli and cauliflower, but we add any fresh vegetables that kind of make sense with chicken. Go listen to episode 2.38. I made a new recipe, chicken mac and cheese. Random vegetables from your garden. Yes, I really liked that because you used all different kinds of things. And I think this time of year, we're like picking up on all different kinds of vegetables. So you need these like and this is the second casserole or third w- baits. Yeah, second or third week in a row where you can throw a bunch of different things in yeah, there. Yeah, so it's it great in, for that. So in addition to some cauliflower from the farmer's market. Like carrots and turnips and beet. peas. <laughs> I actually shelled peas yeah. and put them in that. That has been such a fun new vegetable this spring. Now they're, they'll start to go to seed, but I'm just taking the last of them off and we're shelling them and we're putting them in all kinds of casseroles and they're turning out great. And yeah, you put my celery in that too. I did. You got to slow cook some onions. I just threw your celery in there with them. 
Well, I'm very proud of myself anytime I have celery. And I'll post this new chicken mac and cheese recipe where I just added a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So just a little bit of a different recipe than our usual one. But I'll also repost the one that's our family kind of thing. I, I actually liked it better the second day. Because the second day... I had a chance to melange. Yeah, it like soaked. But then also when you go to put it in the oven, I had it and I had it turned up really good and it just got all crispy and delicious and like baked. And, okay. And then it was even better the second day. I It needed a little bit of salt, but I'm I'm over salting right now because I'm, I'm eating pickle pops You should right have now. put a pickle pop right on top of your <laughs> macaroni and cheese casserole. <laughs> now, before I go into this French onion dip, which is really the star of the show. Which has been my salty... Dip for the Your whole salty week. dip. <laughs> I, I made it. If you've got an idea on a vegetable dump, mm. I want to know it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yes, the big ones. Get the into, things you threw it all into it. Dump your vegetable dump recipes on us in all of the ways that people talk to one another. <laughs> Dinnertabletalks.com is a place. Mm-hmm. Homemade French onion dip. I loved making this. This made the whole house smell good. In butter, I'm taking your onions... I have so many good onions right now, Cut into really thin slices. And leeks. And I'm frying, I'm I'm sauteing those onions for 20 to 25 minutes Mm. on a medium heat until they are golden brown. I think you should make those for the tops of our pork chops tonight. That same golden brown delicious onion. You just turned easy pork chops into a thing. Look into it because that's what you do. I don't need to look into it. I'm starting to improvise, man. This is a jazz situation. (laughs) Then off in a bowl, I got sour cream, mayonnaise, celery salt. Worcestershire. You whisk all that together. You add in the chopped onions after they've cooled off for about 15 minutes. It's all chopped up real small. It is delicious. I'm just sitting there like eating on this delicious salty dip these days. (laughs) So we're wrapping it up now, right? The Blue Zones with the Icaria. What's it called? Icaria. Greece. Greece. Back where we kind of started the conversation. Mm-hmm. When we made Cretan style greens. Yep. What's Cretan style? Mm-hmm. There was a gong right there. Uh huh. That turned into Mediterranean diet. You said something about blue zones. Yep. Here we are five or six weeks later. It's the fifth and final blue zone, Icaria. Okay. The tiny island's long history has been as rocky as its topography. Mm-hmm. The outcropping in the Aegean Sea has been the target of invasions by Persians, Romans, and Turks, forcing its residents inland from the coasts. The result? An isolated culture rich in tradition, family values, and longevity. Cool. Today, Icarians Mm -hmm. are almost entirely free of dementia and some of the chronic diseases that plague Americans. One in three make it to their 90s. A combination of factors, right? Just like the other places. Geography, culture, diet, lifestyle, and outlook. Mm -hmm. They enjoy strong red wine, like our Sicilian friends, Mm -hmm. late night domino games, and a relaxed pace of life that Mm. ignores clocks. Mm, That's how I want to live. Clean air, warm breezes, and rugged terrain draw them outdoors into an active lifestyle. All right? So Mm -hmm. the common factors, all of the five places we visited Mm -hmm. all around the world, they're built in a common core of a diet rich in plant food. Whereas opposite patterns, rich in animal foods and poor in plant-based foods, or the Western diet, in other words, Mm -hmm. is associated with all higher risks of all of these diseases that Mm -hmm. these little pockets of the world don't have. Yep. You know, and I'm sitting here thinking about it and going like, man, our 
even a diet, someone that talks about it, gardens, my diet is always heavier in animal foods. I can't help but think about everything that I do. Well, yeah, absolutely. Icarians eat a variation of the Mediterranean diet. In fact, that's like the birthplace of the Mediterranean diet. It's in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, potatoes, and olive oil. Living foods. Another commonality, beef and cow dairy mm -hmm. are not significant in blue zones. You'll find some sheep and goat's milk mm -hmm. here and there. Mm -hmm. Okay, beverages, blue zones are heavy on water and tea. Mm -hmm. They're drinking herbal tea all day long. Mm -hmm. In Okinawa, we talked about it. It's green tea. In Icaria, it's usually a tea made with oregano, rosemary, or mint. Hmm. Some regions live and die by their wine, mm -hmm. but it's really not to get drunk. It's just a beverage to enjoy with dinner. Right. Low consumption, high health value of the types of wines that they're making. Right. Okay. Another commonality, you mentioned this one, walking every day. Mm -hmm. Three of the five blue zones we talked about, Okinawa, Sardinia, and this week, Icaria, mm -hmm. are located in very narrow, steep regions that didn't always have access to industrial roads. Mm -hmm. So they're tucked away in remote hilltops with no cars, yeah, no streets. Yeah. So they no walk and you're going to see a 95-year-old yeah. man or woman walking next to the 20-year-old man and woman mm -hmm. up and down these craggy hills. Yeah interesting it's called thoughtless exercise well yeah just going and being active it's a lifestyle that is ingrained into their society right yeah if you want to adopt a blue zone lifestyle adopting a dog is one of the best blue zone strategies there is if you intend on walking that dog every day because mm -hmm. that's mindless exercise yeah gotta yep. walk the dog the chickens are good for you because you go and do and all of things that are there with the chickens every day and you get out and walk around. Because I'm out in the gardens every day. Well, but... lately, you and I, I think, have been on purpose trying to walk around together. Yeah, yeah, more. for sure. That Not too. for exercise even. It's mindless exercise at that point. Well, it's that time of year when it's dark. Oh, and it's later. so pretty. All the flowers coming out. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I'm interested to see if the bees and the new beehives are out and about and buzzing. Anyway. Yeah. Now, this is the one that I'm thinking about a lot. That loneliness can shave eight years off of your life. Mm-hmm. And that community and purpose are paramount in these blue zones. Mm -hmm. Akiria is no exception to that because of the going inland on an island. It's just going to force you to have like community interaction. Mm -hmm. But we talked about in Okinawa and Sardinia that they have names for these philosophies of purpose in life mm -hmm. and a requirement of multi-generational interaction. Mm -hmm. People don't wake up in these blue zones rudderless. They're living lives of purpose and meaning. Yeah, they get up each day and they have something to do all the way up to the day that they die. So they're active. They have purpose. They continue participating in a community. I'm going to read this sentence. They're investing in family, keeping their minds engaged, and there's no existential stress of being worthless in life like there is in America. Mm -hmm. It's time to retire. Push you out the door. I don't even think you can say America anymore. I think you have to like well, fully say... Well, I'm reading say, the sentence in this. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, for sure. You're right. I think we have to fully start saying the Western culture, and then the Western culture has definitely seeped into other parts. It's just the more secluded anywhere mm -hmm. is, the less access it's going to have to the Western culture that has now clearly gone everywhere. It is there, though, this notion of you get to a certain age and you're a little bit less valuable than you were. In the Western culture? Yeah. Well, for sure. But I mean, I don't think that that's an across-the-board Western culture. I think that there's cultures within the culture that... Agreed. 
yeah. do treat people to, you're, you're to absolutely treat their family correct closer i'm speaking very that. generally yeah for sure because like my family we're gonna be here i'm gonna be here i'm gonna be taking care of my parents right. until the day they die and my family right so, that's not the what we grew up in right i find what your family does to be a lot more valuable than what my family well, does it's just what it is until we let go of that stuff and move on to the things we actually want and that's what i'm looking forward to but you can just say that at the end of every sentence. We don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> okay. So that's the wrap up of our Blue Zone talk. I mean, those are the commonalities. Yeah. I think it's a valuable thing to just have these conversations. I love how they're coming up on the podcast and that people are interested in them. So talking about ways that we as a community can hold each other accountable to the things that we say related to ideas that we are looking for for wellness and quality of life and all of those types of things. I can see people looking for techniques for thriving, getting to know the blue zone quality of life concept of not even just, I'm necessarily looking to live a hundred or 110 well, yeah, or whatever. That's the fascinating thing about it. It's not that this is better. Right. There's no judgment ranking. No, no. It's, it's just a, data suggests yeah. That if longevity and quality of longevity mm-hmm. is important to you, mm-hmm. you might want to look at what some other people are doing. Mm-hmm. And I have a spiritual belief in the idea of wellness of body is lightening the load in a time where we are ascending, we are evolving. We're finding out what it looks like to be a future human, you know, which is a fun concept, but we do it every day. And I think sometimes we forget about that. And while we're doing it, why aren't we taking into consideration different things that can kind of lighten the load, like eating food that is more alive? And I think about it all the time because I'm eating food every day that isn't alive. And by alive, I mean like plants and vegetables, raw foods, Mm -hmm. you know, Eating raw foods means you have to lean towards eating vegetables in order for that to occur. And there's a lot of coding in us that we have to let go of things we have to let go of. Like we have to let go of the idea that we have to eat meat at every meal. But in the great cheese is your favorite thing in the world to eat and you can't live without it. But isn't breaking your coding looking at other ways to do things? Absolutely. Other successful ways to oh, do things? Oh, that's the best way to do it. See other people witnessing yeah. a quality life that feels good. And when they die, they probably feel good. Like... I worked really hard to be a good human and I had quality of life. Surrounded by people. Yeah, yeah. it feels good. And now I'm passing away. And no matter what happens when you close your eyes, probably feels pretty good. A hundred and something years of quality life. Let's bring this episode home with our random question of the week. This one is so just a silly question. Okay. (laughs) I'm not sure anybody cares about this except me. What's your favorite part of a county fair? What's a county fair? That's a good. That's a good question. Because you're an urban boy, which is no, no. no but I understand the urban, concept. But... You know, it's a county fair. Charlotte's Web. They go to the county fair. Yeah, that's fun. Okay, you crack me up. The I showed animals of... in the county fair every year. Okay, you're talking about the Nueces County Livestock Show and Rodeo. Is well, that the a, county fair? That's the county fair. Not the livestock show and rodeo. The livestock show, and then I guess different counties do it different ways. But ours was. Oh, I'm fair. blending Houston and Nueces County because no, that's the livestock that... fair and rodeo. There's no rodeo at our livestock county no, fair. No, no, no. No. Yeah. yeah. Ours is a county fair. So that's where it... you show things okay. at the county fair. And in South Texas, what is at the county fair? I remember rows and rows and rows of animals yes. from steer to chickens to capons to rabbits to 
guineas. Guineas? Right? I don't know. I don't think there was guineas. And they judge them. And I remember yeah. it's a big fundraiser. And I remember that a bunch of folks would always ask me. They said, my kid is raising a thing. And can you contribute some money to this thing? Mm-hmm. But I also remember a lot of carnival foods. Yeah. I mean, there's always uh, Vendor like, stuff. Yes. Sometimes some of the county shows, county fairs have, they're big enough to have like a roller coaster, not roller coasters, right. but like carnival rides, rides, carnival rides and stuff like that too. But ours never had that. Now, is this the Rattlesnake but Roundup? But it did have, I think we did have music. I think we had bands and stuff like that. At I think night, that, maybe. that occurred, yes, sometimes. Yeah, because all those occurred. high school kids that are raising these animals would go and like... Hang around. Yeah, mix at the <laughs> country band. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So remember we moved out to a more rural area for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade? Mm-hmm. Everyone out there was in 4-H. And going to that... The county fair? Was a big deal every year. Right, yeah. And I remember that I, me and this girl broke up. Did they have, was that the county for, did they have I was have laying the, my heart out. Well, no, but I'm trying to figure out, like, was that, was there rides? Was that the, yeah. Oh, I don't remember rides. Oh, okay, okay. But I remember that we got our pictures put on a big button. This is a long time ago. Yeah, so there's things to there's do. There's little things Yeah, to that's do. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we broke up. Oh. And <laughs> I heard she was seeing someone from one of these other rural schools that we would play football. Oh, okay. And I saw him and her together at the fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy was a nerd. Okay. Thanks for just allowing me to <laughs> release some of this baggage. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, so what was my favorite thing there? It's been so long. So I'm just having these real fleeting memories. The only memories. place you've ever been to a county fair is in Texas, in South Texas. You've never Where been to all a county have you fair? been to county fairs? I've been to county fairs in Maine. I think I've been to other county fairs too. Well, I just can't think I of where. I've done that. I yeah. didn't go on a county fair nationwide tour. Yeah, but I'm like that girl. <laughs> Looking at all of the different types of animals. Clearly, it's livestock oriented. Right. And any kind of regional dish that is served. I would be interested in those two things. Regional dish. What does that mean? Well, so you're going to have like crappy concession food. I'm not talking about that. Did I'm they saying do that? there's food like vendors there. Like sausage and sausage on a stick and whatnot. Yeah. Mm, you know, we need to go to the county fair. But you know what? The county fair in Maine was a thing, like Charlotte's Web. Yeah, like a pie making <laughs> contest. People have brought their their baked goods. They've brought their flower arrangements. A, a whole big show. show of contests. Yes. And you're trying to get the blue ribbon. Yes. Yes. What was your favorite part of the county fair? Pick the state and the region. The giant vegetables. The pumpkins. Oh, yeah, of course. They're trying to win us some kind of state record. Giant tomatoes. I haven't been to the county fair in so long. So maybe we should go to the county fair in the next year or something. I don't know. Or a county fair somewhere. Because I would like to know whether they're doing that kind of vegetable growing stuff. You know who knows the answer to this question? She's probably listening to this podcast right now. And that's Emily. Because Emily's son makes things for But 4-H. he's going to the Noasis County Fair. Yeah, he's going to the county fair. That's what I'm talking about. So he's going to the county fair. He's building a, whatever he built this year. I can't remember. I saw the pictures, but I can't remember. They show it, and then they get a contest. They get in competition. They're in a certain category. And then I think they can sell it, too. And that's where, that's where you said it was a fundraiser. So the county fair in a county, that's what it was, was like a place where... People came together and did a show, and then you won some money. And Well, when we moved out to the farm, we moved counties. And our county has Sam a Tisha. different yes. fairgrounds and show. It's insane. So we can do two of them. We can do two of them. And we'll come back here and talk about it. Those happen in, like, January, though. That's when they usually... Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs>
hundred and something years of quality life. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. Less performance. <laughs>